I'm Anna. I was targeted in Puerto Rico, and I want to be free.
the 400,000 targeted individuals in the United States we thank you for being here today. Today marks the one year anniversary of the filing of TJ E. Garland, an extraordinary lawsuit that seeks to remove the names of innocent listed individuals from the terrorist screening database in two secret categories that are not known to the public and not even to the people that are in them because as the FBI has admitted, they don't represent a terrorist threat and they are not screened as such. Therefore, these innocent Americans and innocent civilians around the world don't face, a, don't encounter problems when traveling. And that is what the media needs to look into, not just the abuse of the 2 million people on the known and suspected terrorist watch list, which is the ones that do encounter problems when traveling, but the plight of all those innocent people that are labeled as suspected terrorists, and that is spread, is distributed through the National Crime Information Center to 18,000 law enforcement agencies, which translates to over 100,000 agents, to five, more over 532 private corporations, such as uh, Airbnb, Western Union, and many others that retaliate against people that don't even know are on the list, and 1,440 organizations such as universities that could very well deny entrance to somebody to a university to higher of a higher education just because unbeknownst to them they are on this nefarious blacklist we urge you to look at the appeal pending before the fifth circuit in the tjb garland case is case number 23-2342 it's fully briefed and we're ready for the oral argumentation when we get notice of it. The principal remedy of that case, the principal remedy we seek is the removal of the 18 plaintiffs from the TSDB categories three and four that are the secret categories that the FBI has admitted. They put people on that list under secret criteria. That is not the America we were born into. That is not what the Constitution provides. Please be aware, the watch list is not the entire list. Pursuant to the Department of Justice, the watch list, the known and suspected terrorist list, comprises 0.5% of the entire list. So if that list is at 2 million, we don't want to know how many innocent civilians have been placed secretly on the Hadley Coast 3 and 4, which represent 97% of the terrorist screening database pursuant to the Department of Justice, not pursuant to targeted justice. This has been contained in audit reports. One of the most nefarious conclusions of the audit report by the Office of Inspector General of the United States Department of Justice, Report 08-16, is that the FBI field offices nominate and place people on the terrorist screening database without complying with agency 
emotion. Now let that sink in. Innocent Americans that have never been arrested, indicted, tried, or convicted of any terrorist offense, and that by FBI's own admission do not meet the reasonable suspicion criteria are secretly placed on this list. The labeling of innocent Americans and people around the world as suspected terrorists deprives them of basic rights, constitutional, civil, and human rights. This has got to stop. It's being carried out by the United States government against the world. Just this week, seasoned journalist Liz Brokink recently posted on social media that the deep state knows these tactics not only isolate you, but they also make you paranoid, rightfully so. So they back on the fact that you may be too weak to keep pushing and exposing them despite the gaslighting and torture they put you through. But there's some people they can't break, and I am one of them. And all of these people are there too. The word is out. It is not just few and uh, far between people that are not well known. People like Liz Froning are coming out and publicly stating they are targeted individuals, targeted by our own government. Innocent people that their only sin is being a whistleblower, a fighter against corruption, or simply a law-abiding citizen that does not promote any kind of shenanigans. So I urge you all to look into that secret categories, the secret categories of the watch list of the terrorist screening database, because that, those, that is where the real news are. So um, evidence that uh, the United States government is suppressing any dialogue about this, any discussion about it, is that despite the distribution of uh, the press release uh, in social media and email, the press didn't come here today. They're not interested in the freedom that second-class citizens, targeted individuals, uh, have a right to. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank Everybody. you,
to all kitchen. Tanya, who drove down and helped me. So I'm just grateful for Nelson. I, I, just, I don't want to start naming names. Thank you for the everybody. But I also want to be, I'm thankful to um, the J6ers. I'm thankful to Donald Trump. And I'm thankful to the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm thankful Baby Joe, eight weeks old. And I'm thankful to all these people because it's those people and the targeting of those people that brought attention to the watch list. And right now, it is front and center. It was on CBS Live, finally made it, made, finally made it to primetime television. And we want everybody to pick it up. Um, Jesse Waters did a, a, an expose on Fox. We're thankful for, to all of you for bringing this message up. And we know that it's a big step and we know that people are being oppressed. I believe there are many investigative journalists that would love to be here today. This kind of interference with what we're doing is what has, what has caused this kind of torture to last for this long. And this is what needs to stop. It needs to stop. We're in a world that's free. You see some of the signs, home of the free question mark. This is 2024. Our free speech rights are being challenged. Our rights as target, uh, targeted individuals, our, all of our constitutional rights are being violated and, and challenged. And it should not be happening in 2024. So we're bonding together and working against that. But I'm really grateful for the movement that's taking place. I want to thank even Elizabeth Warren, the senator, who worked with 12 others. Cory Booker was one of the names I remember, but there were 13 that sent a letter with 34 questions to the intelligence agency about the flaws and inconsistencies and corruption of the list, the watch list, how the process of it and so forth. That is key. There was a closed session on Tuesday, the 9th of January. We're looking forward to the results of that, and we're going to follow that closely because 20 questions, 24 and 25, had to do with targeted individuals. Those are only two questions that I I believe that could have um, handling and for, and we certainly want to see the answer to those questions, and we want to see the report because we know the truth. Okay, so we're looking for that. We're going to keep our finger on the pulse of that. And uh, we're, we're expecting more in 2024. We expect freedom, and it's we're right on the brink, guys. We don't give up. We hope that there are journalists watching bring this to the forefront. This is our time. This is our season. If you weren't ready today, I hope you're ready for next time. I hope you're ready when we get to Louisiana because we need you. We need the word out there. We have got to get the word out there, guys. We've got to get it out there. So I'm so grateful to everyone that's here, grateful to you for being there, grateful for the movements that are taking place. And I believe that's the victory. I want to say another thing. As long as this machine is in place, no entertainer, no athlete, elected official, uh, everyday human being is free. Because anytime you can take someone speaking their own mind and put them on a retaliatory list to and do the kind of things that they do to targeted individuals, it doesn't it means that we're not free. And this is a democratic society. We I my my first 
girl, as I was a little girl, I believed in the, in the uh, American society and the way that we do things in the Constitution. I believe if I was a good girl, if I did my work, if I would get a good job, get married, have children, and last for the rest of my life. You know what I found out? That this program interfered with my marriage. I didn't even know it caused my not talking personal today. Okay. So, but I, I'm just saying that if, if without this program, the statistics, the face of America would be entirely different. There would be less divorce, less homelessness, less people in institutions, less people in, in prison. We have got to get rid of this program so we can see the wonderful world and the wonderful America that we actually have without this. That's all. Thank you. If y'all have any questions, please post them in the chat. If our names are removed, will we be gang stopped? Will we still be gang stopped? If the names are removed, will we be gang stopped? No, because the thing is, the fusion centers and, and all the corporations that run this program, if they don't have a list of names, they don't have targets. So that's why we say no names. No targets. That's that's it. You know, who are they going to go cast on if they don't have a list? The list of innocent people that are being chased around. Thank you. Another question for you. Um, when names are removed, will it be immediate? Rome was not built in one day. This program has taken 20 years to build up. It's certainly not going to be the next day, but I do think that once we get an order to stop Catholic Coast 3 and 4, those names have to be automatically removed, immediately removed. And um, I, you know, I don't know how long it'll take for the recalling of that list to all the people that have, it has been distributed to and all the agencies and all the corporations. But um, it is our hope that uh, they will abide a, to the court ruling and that's why we have asked for a court monitor to monitor the compliance with any order from any court next step is we are waiting we are waiting for the oral arguments to be announced in, in uh, the audience in the fifth circuit as soon as we get that date we're going to tell everybody because we're going to have a rally and we want every targeted individual that can make it there to make it there we need to tell the world this is not fantastical this is not uh imagined it's a, it's a real thing that there are innocent people on a terrorist list some of us go testify in front of congress uh -huh. or a judge jury and demand justice compensation we are we have asked everybody to please write to the Peters Committee and to the 20 senators that wrote uh, the letters demanding explanations regarding the watch list. It is up to the targeted community to write to them and say, it's not just the watch list, it's the hidden categories three and four that people don't find out they are on that list. Those are the biggest monsters. Those are the ones you have to look into. Those are the ones you have to really interrogate. Aside from the watchlist, which has been abused, but also the secret categories, because once that comes out, and once you realize that there's at least 400,000 
Estados Unidos and Americans on that list. That is the explaining that the FBI has to do with Congress because it is just a money-making machine. The more people they have on surveillance and watching for, even when we speak anything, the more money the agency gets and the contractor gets. And that has got to stop because it's an abuse. It's a waste of American taxpayer money. Okay. The next question is, um, is this crime wave part of or considered a continuation or continuous offense? And if so, what is the proper remedy for continuous or advancing persistent threat type of offense? Crime wave? Crime wave, yeah. It says continuous offense. Well, I, I, I do think that a lot of um, think a lot of crimes are set up like, you know, and, and a lot of people are entrapped in this world. So I, I think that once the weapons are shut down, America is going to wake up to a new America and the world to what it used to be, what it used to be 20 years ago. Okay, and the next question asks, um, are you prepared to educate other attorneys and can we have a webpage or campaign to educate civil rights attorneys? I guess, you know, what would you say to other attorneys out there? Well, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to do Department of Justice. Let's get it uh, towards the mid of this year. We're going to start um, educating attorneys into these civil rights violations. And we will put templates on the Target of Justice page. Right now, look for it. Uh, within, I guess, two weeks, I'm going to have an FAQ. Uh, at Targeted Justice. It's going to be curated by me and it's going to contain all these documents I have talked about so that you can refer to them. It is really important that people, international people, know this. The United States is violating international treaties that they have ratified. There are a lot of international people that, as selected people here, should be able to, you know, claim these violations, it has to be done in the United States courts, but certainly the violations are there. So yes, we do, we are, that is one of the projects Target Justice has to educate attorneys because we need people to join our team to set free the over 400,000 Americans that are in having a legal place for business. And we estimate more than 6 million of all right, that appears to be the very last question on here that I can find. So, okay, right. well, thank you all for being there. And uh, please do the coverage because we, we need this work to get out. Thank you. Law and Antilica. How are you doing today, Anna? 
I'm doing I'm doing well despite and we've been for I've been for an hour and almost 40 minutes trying to connect. It's a test of our determination and our resilience and they're not going to take the smile from our face. We're going to do this. We've got this. We have to, we have a lot to say today. Yes, we certainly do. This week has been really busy. It had several important events. And one of the events, we had an anniversary of filing targeted justice v. Garland in the district court in Texas. We had a press conference on the steps of the Houston courthouse. You were a big part of this event. Would you like to say a couple of words? And also, would you please read your statement? Because it is a beautiful written statement I want people to hear. It was beautiful to see there's people that came from Connecticut, people came from Chicago, and it was a beautiful meeting of TIs, and we're going to put, we're going to upload the videos that we made. We had it simultaneously through Zoom as well. Unfortunately, and, but it was expected, the local press didn't come because, you know, either they didn't get, our emails were interfered with, and or they were told by their bosses they can't cover us because we're not supposed to exist. It listed individuals in the two secret categories are not supposed to exist. So, but we did the Zoom and we're gonna put it out there, rain or shine, like you say, nothing is gonna stop us from putting the truth out there. I am very grateful for the people that came to the, because it became a rally, you know, it became a rally and it was just, uh, it was really nice to see and meet a wonderful TIs that are committed to ending targeting. I'm going to read you what I read there yesterday. On behalf of targeted justice and the 400,000 targeted individuals in the United States and millions around the world, we thank you for coming here today. Today marks the one-year anniversary of the filing of Target Justice v. Garland, a case demanding the removal of innocent Americans from two secret categories of the Terry Screening Database. Currently pending before the First Circuit Court of Appeals, this case sought, among other remedies, the elimination of a secret blacklist hidden in plain sight within the Terry Screening Database, case number 23-2342. Much has been discussed lately about the watch list, a component of the Terry Screening Database the law enforcement tool authorized by means of executive order to list known and suspected terrorists. The watch list is not the entire list. In fact, it's a very small part of the TSDB. Pursuant to a declaration under penalty of perjury of a former Terry Screen Center Deputy Director, Timothy Grow, given in the Al Haiti versus Cable case, the watch list comprises only the names of known and suspected terrorists. Pursuant to a U.S. Department of Justice audit report of the Terrorist Screening Center, the watch list, the known and suspected terrorist components of the Terrorist Screening Database, only comprised less than 0.5% of the list. The rest of the TSAB consists of three other categories, at least two of which the FBI has admitted contains the names of people that, and this is a quote, do not represent a threat to national security, as stated by Mr. Grove. 
and consequently are not screened as such. That's why they never find out when they go to an airport. They are not subjected to additional screening. All of this and more nefarious uncontroverted facts are contained in the audit reports of the Terry Screening Center. In one of them, OIG Audit Report 08-16, the Office of the Inspector General concluded that the FBI field offices made nominations to the TSDB without following agency regulation. Innocent Americans that have never been arrested, indicted, tried, or convicted of a terrorist offense find themselves labeled a suspected terrorist on a list that is distributed to over 18,000 law enforcement agencies, 1,440 organizations, and at least 532 of the biggest corporations in the United States, as well as 60 countries. The people listed in the categories of people vested with a constitutional presumption of innocence were never supposed to find out that they were in handling those three and four categories of the list as they are not subjected to burdensome screening when traveling. The labeling of these innocent Americans devoid of reasonable suspicion criteria to include them on any criminal list distributed through the FBI's National Crime Information Center affects every aspect of their lives, curtailing the inherent freedom they were born into. We ask that Congress, the media, investigate ex and expose the dark side of the terrorist screening database that goes well beyond the watch list. That was very inspirational. I got the main idea is that the watch listing that everybody's talking about after this U.S. Senate report, after this TBS report, and everybody is now aware of the watch list and that this is a violation of uh, American constitutional rights. But nobody is aware of the dark side. What you mentioned is that the watch list is just a portion of this illegality that is spread like a cancer throughout the executive branch and specifically the FBI. So thank you for that statement, Anna. Let's move on and uh, have our legal segment. Our legal segment today is devoted to a case that we reviewed before. In the episode 40, we spoke about a case that is coming to the Supreme Court and it's called FBI v. Vicker. And the oral arguments were held before the Supreme Court judges on January 8th of this year. That was this past Tuesday. And we will uh, do something different today. We will play a portion of the hearing between Justice Gorsuch and the defendant's lawyer, which I will play. So we will have a little piece of radio theater, something different today. The original case that was filed several years ago, this case goes way back to the events in like 2013, correct me if I'm wrong, but the case that went in front of the Supreme Court was filed by the FBI because they were not happy with the ruling of the Ninth Circuit for the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals. This is what FBI defines as an issue in this case. 
whether respondents claim challenging his placement on the no-fly list are moot, given that he was removed from the no-fly list in 2016, and the government provided a sworn declaration stating that he will not be placed on the no-fly list in the future based on the currently available information. A little bit of context. The Ninth Circuit, which is the court from which this ruling came, is the same court that gave us the jewel, the pearl, the Ibrahim case, where they said how she, but she was a Malaysian citizen, right? She had been removed from the no-fly, but he had, she had been left on the TSDB. So this is a court that Ibrahim case versus Department of Homeland Security, it's an x-ray of what is publicly available, you know, it is so damaging to the TSDB operation that the defendants asked the court to seal the case and the court refused. So that's why you should have in context, number one. Number two, what that statement by the FBI, Judge Justice Sotomayor made a wonderful question in the beginning, which was, okay, you put him on the list because he donated to a mosque. Now you took him on the list. If tomorrow he donates to the to that most, will you put him again? And the attorney for the Department of Justice, they cornered him and they he finally had to admit that they, that they could or they would. So that's why this statement is not sufficient. Because on the, based on the information we have today, yeah, but tomorrow he can do something completely innocent, completely having nothing to do with terrorism, but they will interpret it as such and they will put him back in. That's why the Ninth Circuit said, this is not enough. This statement is not enough because it's capable of repetition. It's, it can happen again. And he has a right to know why he was put on the list in the first place, which they're refusing to do. And that's why FBI went up to the Supreme Court because they don't want them to open that can of worms because that's what it is. It's a can of worms because they're going to find out that there was no reason to put him there in the first place. The appearances on behalf of uh, the petitioners, Mr. Sapan Joshi, his assistant uh, to the Solicitor General of the Department of Justice, and for the respondent, it was Mr. Gadir Abbas. He is associated with CARE. And this is the summary of, of Mr. Joshi. This is how much they don't want to talk about this issue, that it was literally one sentence. Respondents no fly list claims are moot. He is not on the list. He hasn't been on the list in eight years. So their argument is the mootness of the claim because otherwise they have to talk about the merits. They will have to go talk about the due process. And so this is how simple their solution is. He is simply not on the list. We have nothing to talk about. Yeah, because they don't want that kind of war to open because in their arguments, one of the things it says is if we allow him to look into why he was even put there in the first place, you are going to open the doors, the floodgates for other people to do the same. And this court can do that. You know, it's like, yeah, we can trample the rights of people. We can falsely put them, accuse them of being terrorists, falsely put them in a on a list. But they can't have redress. And that's what they're trying to do. The reason I think 
they took him off a list is because they knew they couldn't win that case. So they took him preemptively off the list, not to grant him the opportunity to continue litigating it. It was like, you know, let's make the case move so he, after fighting so hard, you know, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work because the court, at least the Ninth Circuit didn't buy it. Um, these judges, they were asking very specific questions. They thoroughly read the briefs and they know that what the government is presenting is not necessarily accurate. Let's go to Mr. Abbas' summary. His summary goes like this. The government agrees that when a defendant voluntarily ceases conduct challenged in litigation, it has a heavy burden to make absolutely clear that the conduct could not reasonably be expected to recur. But the court right declaration just promises Mr. Ficker that he won't be put back on the no-fly list based on currently available information. And he gives three reasons why it is not acceptable. So. For example, if our client was previously listed for attending the wrong mosque and attends the same mosque this year, the declaration would allow the government to release him. It gets worse. Even if he doesn't attend again, but the government gets new suspicion-inducing information, not about Jonas, that's Mr. Ficker, but about the mosque itself, the declaration likewise allows the government to release and new fact, not currently known to the government, would allow Jonas to be relisted consistent with the declaration. So, number one, you can do the same thing and they will put you back on. The same number two is there is another information not even related to Mr. Ficker and that he can be put on the list. And if he released in either of those ways, that's recurrence of the challenged conduct. He is disadvantaged in the same fundamental way his complaint was meant to redress. So he goes back to the beginning, just like you said, what put him there in the first place? That's exactly what Judge Sotomayor was, the first question she made was that. Is he doesn't even know the conduct that put him on the list. How can he know? And one of the one of the concerns that the justices have is the First Amendment protected conduct. If I am talking to you, exerting my freedom of expression, and you happen to be a terrorist, how does that make me a terrorist? You know what I mean? And the same with the church. If they are going to a, a mosque, and it just so happens that the FBI has them as a terrorist organization, well, it's going to happen again, and, and they are very concerned because this is a violation of First Amendment protected activity that the Homeland Security Presidential Directive 6, when they created this terrorist screening database, clearly states that the agency is not to interfere with civil and constitutional rights of the people, and that's exactly what it was created to do. When I was listening to the transcript, I was tuning in to the words due process. And the only judge who really brought this up to the front of the conversation was Justice Gorsuch. So let's do this exercise. 
you will be Justice Gorsuch, and I will be Mr. Joshi. Your Honor, please go ahead. Well, let me tell you, first of all, how honored I am. Justice Gorsuch is the first Columbia graduate to be in the Supreme Court. And he was my classmate at Columbia. I think he lived, I lived in, on Carmen floor 13, and I think he lived on the 8th or, or the 10th. I'm not sure what floor he lived there. And I do remember one, you know, it was like at 1 in the morning when we would have these discussions about changing the world. And I remember distinctly that he was one of the few people at Columbia that actually knew about Puerto Rico and our political status. Because the other people, some people there, I would tell them that I was the daughter of the Indian chief tribe and that we lived, you know, we walked bare, naked, and that we uh, didn't have cars, that we just, you know, went in, in horses around and we didn't have money, we just bartered. And some people actually believe me. There's some ignorant people there that believe me, but Justice Gorsuch, he knew exactly about the political status and about, you know, at age 18, because uh, that was my first year at Columbia. So anyways, I'm honored. I'm going to read. And he was so on point in his discussion. So he goes, we have an American citizen here who was for years sometime, I don't exactly remember how long, forced to live abroad and fearful about coming home because he didn't know what he was being accused of. Now, the government may well may very well have had good reasons. I don't for a second mean to suggest otherwise, but an American citizen normally has a right to what's being called every man's evidence against him. That's due process. That's a pillar of our democracy. And here the government says, no, you don't get that evidence. I understand. But Justice Kagan suggests an alternative, which is at least share it with a judge. At least share the facts with a judge and maybe with clear the counsel. And you can do it in an in a SCIF, Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. There are a lot of them. I imagine you spent a fair amount of time in an SCIF preparing for this case. And the government does that all the time under under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, under SEPA, Classified Information Procedure Act. Why is it too much to expect with respect to American citizen who's being denied every man's evidence that, that the federal government do at least that when his fundamental liberty, the right to travel, is at stake? Mr. Joshi responds. I think the judge in this case, the district court in this case, sensibly realized that he is not on the list and he has been assured he won't be put back on the list based on the currently available. I'm not asking about the district court judge. I'm asking the position of the executive branch. And again, whether he might have had a one, one ticket out of jail free card, but his right to travel was thereafter barred or whether he didn't is immaterial. It is his right to travel. It is his right to every man's evidence. And it is when those two things are at stake 
it is too much to ask the federal government to share with a district court in an F in a SCIF enough information to be able to assess the mootness question. So that's exactly what we do when these cases get to the merits. If we had remained on the no-fly list, that's what would have happened. That's what happens in other cases. First of all, they knew he was never a terrorist threat. And they took him off the list just to avoid doing that. To avoid going to the marriage. To avoid showing him every man's evidence in violation of the Sixth Amendment. That gives you the right to confront the evidence against you. Which is what we have been demanding. That innocent Americans are placed on this list without notice. And without the chance under the Sixth Amendment to confront that evidence and, and just shut it down because it's fake. It's all fabricated by the FBI. I agree. The extent to which they go to say that, let's not talk about the merits. Let's not talk about the merits. Let's look here. The case is moot because he is no longer on the list. And even if we put him on the list, then we can take him off the list and then we don't have to talk about it again. This is becoming so obvious that I think this is the trick that they want to do in all these cases. When people complain, they take them off the list and claim that the case is moot. That's exactly it. And in Spanish, we have a saying that is, you can see the inseam. You know, it's like, you know, the inseam you're not supposed to ever see in your clothes, right? But here, you can see the inseam, you, you can see what's behind it. And it is that they knew from the get-go that if a judge sees in camera the alleged reasons, the purported reasons why Mr. Fikra was put on that list, they're going to say, this is a joke. It really. And then that is what they don't want. Because what, that, when he says, you don't want to open those floodgates. Mr. Yoshi said it at one. I don't. I don't know if you recall. At some point during the argument, he said, "No, no, you, you don't want to do that because you don't want to have other people do the same." So this was our reading of the Scotus transcript. He was trying to play Mr. Yoshi. Your impersonation of Justice Gorsuch was magnificent. So this is the end of our legal segment that I call "That's Due Process." That's a pillar of our democracy. That's what Justice Gorsuch said, and we applaud him. Any predictions about what might happen, what the judges in the Supreme Court uh, might eventually decide? From the get-go, they all seem to be very well informed, and it seemed to me that they were in the disposition of confirming the Ninth Circuit decision. That's my impression. I have to comment that I don't understand why Mr. Abbas, the respondent, didn't mention that, yeah, he's off the no-fly list, but we don't know if he's still in the terrorist screening database. The words terrorist screening database or data set, as the government wants to rebaptize it, they didn't come up. He didn't say his problems are not over. Because we don't even know if he's still on the terrorist screening database labeled as a suspected terrorist. And I don't understand why he didn't say that. Because the judges, one of the judges talked about other lists. And that's why I was just like, I, 
you know, what am I missing here? But I really think that they read a lot, and I really think that they are very concerned about the due process. And I think that I think that they are going to give him, allow him to have his day in court. You know, go back to the district court and and uh, and follow the process. That it's a ten-year-old case. So, um, you know, it is in this perseverance. The Ibrahim case, I think, took something like ten years, two or fourteen years. But it was well worth it because it's a trove of pearls in there. All the information that the court put out there on the record of how this terror screening database operates and how it doesn't. So I really think that they're going to come from the, I really think and hope that they come from the Ninth Circuit because we are at the time where this is going to end. I think the signals are coming from everywhere. You know, if this is going to be over soon, and that's why they are attacking so hard, and that's why, you know, like the fact that we can't even have a normal Zoom conference, that I have to be talking to you on the phone and the video is so slow. It's an act of desperation by the government criminals running this program. This program must simply be over. It's been long overdue. The executive branch is running amok and violating our constitutional rights. Uh, left and right. The part when you talk about the difference between watch list and TSDB, I think you're the only voice, the targeted justice is the only voice who is openly talking about this blatant controversy. Are you aware of anybody who is uh, bringing the same point? No, and that is the scandal. The big scandal is that the watch list, which was described in the document I sent to you by Mr. Grove, only comprises 0.5% of the database. And what's a scandal is that if people read into what Mr. Friend and Mr. O'Rourke and all those whistleblowers have been talking about, how innocent Americans, how they were pressured as special agents of the FBI to classify as domestic terrorists innocent Americans, that is nothing but placing them on the TSEB. And the number of names, the, the list of the listed individuals on this list far exceeds by so by ninety it's ninety seven percent those the listed individuals that don't meet the terrorist criteria. That is the scandal. The hidden side of the TSDB, the one that nobody was ever supposed to find out, except that those deputy sheriffs told Richard Lighthouse, no, 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 we have to secure the house. We can't, we can't put you in the ambulance until we secure this house. And that was the best thing that could have happened because without that, we would have not found out that the secret categories of the TSDB, that's what they're for. Now, I don't understand because Mr. Abbas, the document that I obtained that says that the watch list is comprised of the known and suspected terrorists and then the other categories are of people that are the non-investigated subjects. That document came from the El Haiti versus Cable case, which is the discovery carried out by Mr. Abbas. He is the one that did all this wonderful discovery from which I constructed most of the lawsuit with uncontroverted facts admitted by the FBI and the DOJ. So I don't understand why we're the only ones. Maybe because uh, most of his clients 
are in the known and suspected terrorist category, which is handling codes one and two. But now the lawsuit that they just filed in Massachusetts, that lawsuit talks about handling codes three and four and how there's just a lot of people on those, the innocent Americans on those handling codes three and four. Yes, the lawsuit that you mentioned that was filed in Massachusetts, we reviewed it on our last show, and it's called Carula v. Garland. And I think that case will be a culmination of all these lawsuits that we're seeing going through various courts of appeals and will eventually reach the Supreme Court. Moving on to the second segment of our podcast, uh, this is a story published in the New York Times Magazine in September 2021. Uh, it comes from the uh, desk of Adam Toledo, and the article is called I Help Destroy People. This article is written about a whistleblower. His name is Terry Albury. He's an idealistic FBI agent who grew so disillusioned by the war on terror that he leaked classified documents. ...lawsuit with uncontroverted facts admitted by the FBI and the DOJ. So I don't understand why we're the only ones, maybe because uh, most of his clients are in the known and suspected terrorist category, which is handling codes one and two. But now the lawsuit that they just filed in Massachusetts, that lawsuit talks about handling codes three and four and how there's just a lot of people on those, the innocent Americans, on those handling codes three and four. Yes, the lawsuit that you mentioned that was filed in Massachusetts, we reviewed it on our last show, and it's called Carula v. Garland. And I think that case will be a culmination of all these lawsuits that we're seeing going through various courts of appeals and will eventually reach the Supreme Court. Moving on to the second segment of our podcast. Uh, this is a story published in the New York Times Magazine in September 2021. Uh, it comes from the uh, desk of Adam Toledo, and the article is called I Help Destroy this article is written about a whistleblower. His name is Terry Albury. He's an idealistic FBI agent who grew so disillusioned by the war on terror that he leaked classified documents to the Intercept and received four-year sentence in the federal prison during Trump's presidency. He will give us an insight in the terrorist screen database program from the standpoint of an FBI agent. I think this story is remarkable. What is heart-wrenching to me is that here you have a guy, he's supposed to be protected by the whistleblower statute. He is. He came out, he took pictures of, of a lot of evidence to prove the criminality going on in there. And he should have been protected by federal law because that is the Whistleblower Protection Act is for people like him. I think that a lot of FBI agents know about the program, many others don't, or they are just 
scared to talk about it because they know that this can happen to him. Because one of the things, important things he says is that the FBI won't tolerate being embarrassed. He uses the word embarrassed publicly. So it doesn't matter if they're embarrassed because they're doing illegal things and they don't want anybody to know the illegal things they do. Well, that sounds to me extremely illegal. Remember that the Attorney General during the Trump presidency was Bill Barr, former CIA director. So it's a shame that it didn't get to the level because I think that if should if he would have gone to the executive, honest people that want to make a difference and wanted to clean up the swamp, I don't think this man would have been prosecuted. That's my opinion. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, let's go for it. This is a must-read article. I hope you put the link. I, if not, I'll sh in the show notes, I'll send you uh, in archive.today. And, and I, I, this is a public service announcement to everybody. When you see a really good article that might be removed from the Internet, you go to archive.today, and you put in there the link, and it gets preserved for eternity. So that uh, when you want to search for it again, if you can't find it, you go to archive.today, and you're going to find it. It's sort of like your own cloud, but it's, it's a, a universal cloud where there's just articles don't get erased. And that's where I found it. That's another tip from the desk of Anatoly, leader. <laughs> Let's get to the story. The story is really fascinating. So when he was prosecuted, the government prosecutors casted him as a compulsive leaker. But Albury says he felt a moral imperative to make his disclosures, motivated by his belief that the Bureau had been so fundamentally transformed by September 11th that its own agents were compelled to commit civil and human rights violations. That's a heck of a statement. In one specific case that uh, Mr. Albury described, we, we're going to call him X, he said X was screwed for life. There was nothing connecting the kid, it was a young gentleman, to terrorism. Albury spent months completing a process known as baseline collection. We're going to talk about it later. Scouring his social media, checking his uh, phone records, running his name through the DMV database, as well as myriad other secret and top secret government databases. But now his name was in the system. And this is what it meant. That meant that any number of government agencies could have access to his file and open him for future harassment, or at best, put an asterisk next to his name that would be with him forever. Now, anytime he applied for a passport or a job that required a background check or a driver's license or simply had a name run through any sort of government database, for the rest of his life, it would show up that he'd been looked at by the FBI, which would inevitably be viewed as suspicious. That was what was so insidious about the process, Mr. Albury said. And this is exactly what all the recent cases that we reviewed in our case, this is all life. We, in the handling contents, the three and four, we don't even have a redress process. So this is definitely 
whole life. And this is the aspect that uh, he thought was so insidious. Yeah, he just described the component of the Cherish Creating database that is made up of innocent people. Like him, he knows, you know, the other whistleblowers don't, don't seem to have known so much. I think that after this happened, a lot of it was like encapsulated and not many people knew about it. But notice how without even probable cause, they put this agent to look through everything about that person to see what he can dig up. This is like putting like the horse in front of a carriage, I mean, uh, behind the carriage, because it's like, you, we don't have anything on this person. We want to make him a criminal. So see what you can find for him to, to, to support the fact that he's a criminal. That, and that's what they do with the people that they're putting in handling codes three and four. Just see, we decided he has to be a criminal. See how you can back it up. Yes. This is why I want to highlight this process known as baseline collection. This is what happened in December 2008. And that was before Mr. Barr was the Attorney General. It's his predecessor. Before he left the office, he instituted this series of changes to the FBI's investigative guidelines. These guidelines were implemented that permitted agents to open low-level investigations known as assessments without any formal claim of wrongdoing or even a credible tip. All that was needed was an agent's assertion that there was a clearly defined objective in looking at a subject to initiate the baseline collection process. Think about it for a second. I can choose, I can pick a person, and for as long as I define my objective, what I'm gonna do about this person, uh, I can open a file on him. See, that's winning the card before the horse. I'm going to pick a person, and then I'm going to decide what I'm going to look for with respect to this person. So I don't need to get a tip about this person. I can just pick a person. So, And as long as I clearly define my objective, I can uh, have a file open. This is so egregious. I just really, I don't have any words for it. And over the next two years after this change was implemented, the FBI opened nearly 43,000 counterterrorism-related assessments, though fewer than 2,000 led to further investigation. But the files were open. If you remember 2008, 2009, 2010, they, these are the years when the TSDB numbers were reset. So there's more to the story than just changing the, the guidelines. It really changed the way the FBI was opening the cases. And the FBI has admitted, Mr. Ray has admitted that they have carried out 200,000 assessments of innocent Americans. And that correlates to the targeted individual population, or a little less, obviously. But they admitted it, I think, two years ago. So that's probably, you know, it has grown in the past few years. And it's publicly available information. What was the explanation for doing these assessments on American citizens that have a constitutional right, first of all, a presumption of innocence, 
second of all, a right to confront any, to give, be given notice and to confront any evidence against them. And that's clearly, you know, after these assessments, that's how they put the people on the terrorist screening database without reasonable suspicion. And they, the thing is, Len, they admit, they admit that they carry out this illegal conduct of placing people without reasonable suspicion that ties them to terrorism under secret criteria. It's out in the open, and I cannot think of anything more illegal than that, that they are admitting to it. This is how the article ends. These are the words of uh, Terry Albury himself. There is this mythology surrounding the war on terrorism and the FBI that has given agents the power to ruin the lives of completely innocent people based solely on what part of the world they came from or what religion they practiced or the color of their skin. And I did that. I helped destroy people for 17 Terry Albury, we thank you for coming uh, out, for blowing the whistle in this process. And perhaps you can help to free target individuals, not only uh, Muslim American Americans affected by this insidious program. Well, I can only say Mr. Albury at least can sleep at night. But I wonder how all those FBI agents that place innocent Americans on this list, knowing what they face. I wonder how they can sleep at night. I wonder how the InfraGuard people that did this little number on us and they're constantly doing our surveillance, how can they sleep at night just for money? You know, how can you destroy hardworking, innocent, honest, decent American lives just for money? Is that it? You know, because that's what it boils down to. FBI wants more money for their agency, so they have to bulge the amount of people on that list and and it's all about the money the contractors want to have they're dying to put more people on that list because it represents more money for them and they don't care about the obliteration and destruction of innocent hardworking americans they don't they don't care mr albury can sleep at night i don't think the same about the other fbi agents that destroy the lives of so many we need them. We need the FBI agents who want to help to stop this process. We need all these whistleblowers. Why? I'm praying that Mr. Stephen Friend will one day see through the targeting program not as a group of mentally off individuals, but people with real claims. He needs to connect the dots, and so is his, his friend, Mr. Friend's friend, and so many other FBI agents. It's been way too long. We have real claims. They're not fantastical. They're not out of this world. We are people who live amongst you and we suffer daily from directed energy attacks, from organized stalking, from P2K, from remote neural monitoring, and it has to stop. Thank you, Anna, for bringing this very important articles to our attention.
today's legal segment is about a very important lawsuit. It's called Parula v. Garland. Factual background. There, there are like three pages of this factual background, and it's very, very comprehensive. This is why I think this case is the culmination of all these lawsuits that will really make a difference. And what I noticed and what I highlighted in every of this statement is listed individuals. I think we claim, we target individuals, we claim that we are on TSDP. The Muslim Americans claim that they're also on TSDP and they call themselves listed individuals. But we are also listed individuals. And if we adopt that language, that will unify our mission. It will level the, the playing field. Listed individuals suffer life-changing harms as a result of defendants' use and dissemination of the terrorist watch list. The federal government uses the terrorist watch list to harm and stigmatize listed individuals. State and local governments use the terrorist watch list to harm and stigmatize listed individuals. Foreign governments use the terrorist watch list to harm and stigmatize listed individuals. Private entities use the terrorist watch list to harm and stigmatize listed individuals. The terrorist watch list stigmatizing effect on listed individuals are added out or distributed publicly, individuals placed in the TSDS, TSDB, without reasonable suspicion are also harmed by their placement in the TSDB. Listed individuals who are exceptions, that's my favorite category with an exclamation point. The stigma and harm of placement on the federal terrorist watch list continues forever even if an individual is removed from the TSDP. Targeted individuals are listed individuals. A language used in this case repeats over and over. Listed individuals. And I think we should accept that. Yes, we're targeted individuals, but we're also listed individuals. And that equalizes our position in the court. How, how do you feel about listed individuals? Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, we're all listed individuals. And I have to tell you, I'm absolutely convinced that all listed individuals are targeted individuals, whether they publicly claim it or not. So I think that the terms are synonyms, really. I think listed individuals gives us the specificity that we need. Targeted individuals, targeted by whom? That's targeted. true. Yeah, are we targeted in our imagination? But listed individuals, we're part of the list, and this list is real. It's compiled, it's maintained, and it's distributed. So saying I'm a listed individual, it means I'm on the, on the federal watch list. That gives legitimacy and specificity to explaining your situation. I think that we should implement the hashtag listed individuals along with the targeted individual one. I agree. I think it would be a great step.
after a direct energy weapon attack, also known as DEW. It is like the worst attack ever. When you go to the people around you who you need the most, they think that you're crazy and they tell you to go get professional help. I am going to get an MRI. No psych meds are going to help with a torture device, a weapon that is energetically attacking your cranium. And why the hell would somebody make that shit up? It is so painful. I was on the floor today crying. For anyone who is going through this right now, I'm so sorry. And we need to stick together. And we need to rise above this so many people are afraid they'll just keep getting more and more people shalom all praises glory and honor to the heavenly father yahweh in the name of his only begotten son who the world ignorantly calls jesus christ repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh this is your brother shalah and i wanted to uh, just play some um some content going into the uh targeted justice lawsuit going into the um, terrorist watch list uh, which the attorneys who uh, the uh, lead attorney is Anna Toledo who is uh, basically uh, saying that the uh, terrorist watch list is unconstitutional now I bring out these things because one uh, the database or the terrorist watch list database, uh, the people that are nominated on the list is growing. So a lot of our people who are outspoken that speak the truth, you know, you have brothers and even sisters out there that are on Facebook and Instagram and are verbal, you know, they speak out, you know, uh, when I mean verbal, I'm talking about like, putting posts up on their channels or their pages. And all it takes is uh, someone who have access uh, to someone that can place that brother or sister on the watch list. And then after that, um, all civil and human rights are pretty much done. And they have this uh, system through the um, FISA courts, which are secret proceedings, secret court cases, and and, uh, and they determine who will be placed on a terrorist watch list. And after that, uh, then the directed energy weapons testing and covert assaults happen. And then you have the contract or organized harassment stalking groups that will pretty much swarm the targeted individual wherever they go, whether they're in their home, they're driving around doing specific psyops and just things to aggravate or irritate the person who was targeted. And then when they're out in public, whether they're at shopping centers or grocery stores, going you know to the bank or 
or at work, these people are paid to uh, to use psyops against the person who is targeted. Use different types of, of provocation. And what's happening is the uh, government, the different intelligence agencies, is using that as a mechanism to justify the terrorist watch list, to bring forth provocation and entrapment. So it's a setup. The, the people that are being targeted are being provoked and put in different situations who have been targeted and stalked and harassed, if not months, days, years. And unfortunately, certain uh, people who have been uh, tortured and targeted have lashed out violently. And that's the justification the government have to, you know, say, hey, this person was a was a criminal or, or a suspect. So it's, it's all a, it's a game, it's a setup, it's a farce and is used uh, to, you know, keep the uh, terrorist watch list, you know, pretty much uh, in place. And through, you know, again, through the Patriot Act is used uh, to target those that the government uh, view as uh, people that are troublemakers. Because a lot of people that's on these watch lists are whistleblowers and they actually are exposing corruption. But just like how you had um, Edward Snowden who worked for the NSA and he he's a whistleblower and he exposed the corruption that the NSA was doing and thus they used the system to label him basically a traitor when he was really you know speaking the truth and was um, bringing out that the NSA was doing illegal tactics and you see how the the system itself is in place uh, to not uphold the laws, but they create laws and they break them. And there's so many loopholes and the people that's actually uh, standing, you know, standing up for what's right, which is to expose corruption and to speak the truth and, and, uh, and, you know, use uh, the laws of the constitution to express any kind of grievances such as uh, the first amendment, which is freedom of speech, those rights are violated. And so this lawsuit is, uh, is to challenge uh, the illegal, immoral and inhumane treatment that the U S government is uh, placing on citizens. And like I said before, that watch list is growing. And so this is why, you know, I bring out content going into that, you know, because mainly, you know, this this channel is to preach the gospel, the good news, which is to tell our brothers and sisters to repent, because that's ultimately the main reason why we're in this truth is to get our brothers and sisters to repent 
and to bring them to the Lord, bring them to Yahweh Shai, who the world calls Jesus Christ. Because there is no chance of salvation uh, except through the Lord, who is the door. He is the mediator. And he is the reason why we have the opportunity uh, to receive eternal life and to be brought back into that covenant, the new covenant, which we're in the new covenant. You know, so, you know, for brothers and sisters out there that, um, you know, mainly listen to the channel uh, for the teachings, um, you know, I bring these things out because it's important. The Lord told us to warn the flock, to sound the shofar in Zion, because ultimately they want to place everybody uh, that have a opinion you know, if, if it don't line up with the New World Order system, uh, they, they're they going to throw uh, people on, the, you know, on the list to create a, what, a police state where you have no civil or human rights. So I will, if it be the Lord's will, continue to bring out more information on this uh, subject as it's very important and a lot of people aren't talking about it, especially those that's in the uh, Hebrew Israelite community. There's very few brothers and sisters out there uh, that's in the truth that know about it, or if they do, they're silent. But the Lord uh, tells us to plead the cause of those who are oppressed, and that's what we must do. Shalom. Shalom. All praise, glory, and honor to the Heavenly Father, Yahweh, in the name of His only begotten Son, who the world ignorantly calls Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. This is your brother, Shalah. And I wanted to uh, just play some um, some content going into the, uh, the targeted justice lawsuit, going into the um, terrorist watch list. Uh, which the attorneys, who uh, the uh, lead attorney is Anna Toledo, who is uh, basically uh, saying that the uh, terrorist watch list is unconstitutional. Now, I bring out these things because, one, uh, the database or the terrorist watch list database uh, the people that are nominated on the list is growing. So a lot of our people who are outspoken that speak the truth, you know, you have brothers and even sisters out there that are on Facebook and Instagram and are verbal, you know, they speak out, you know. Uh, when I mean verbal, I'm talking about like putting posts up on their channels or their pages and all it takes is uh, someone who have access uh, to someone that can place that brother or sister on the watch list. And then after that, um, all civil and human rights are pretty much done. And they have this uh, system through the um, FISA courts, which are secret proceedings secret court 
cases and and uh and they determine who will be placed on a terrorist watch list and after that uh then the directed energy weapons testing and covert assaults happen and then you have the contract or organized harassment stalking groups that will pretty much swarm the targeted individual wherever they go, whether they're in their home, they're driving around doing specific psyops and just things to aggravate or irritate the person who was targeted. And then when they're out in public, whether they're at shopping centers or grocery stores going you know, to the bank or, or at work, these people are paid to, uh, to use psyops against the person who is targeted, use different types of uh, provocation. And what's happening is the uh, government, different intelligence agencies is using that as a mechanism to justify the terrorist watch list, to bring forth provocation and entrapment. So it's a setup. The, the people that are being targeted or being provoked and put in different situations who have been targeted and stalked and harassed, if not months, days, years. And unfortunately, certain uh, people who have been uh, tortured and targeted have lashed out violently. And that's the justification the government have to, you know, say, hey, this person was a was a criminal or or a suspect. So it's it's all a it's a game. It's a setup. It's a farce. And is used uh, to, you know, keep the uh, terrorist watch list, you know, pretty much um, in place. And through, you know, again, through the Patriot Act is used uh, to target those that the government uh, view as uh, people that are troublemakers. Because a lot of people that's on these watch lists or whistleblowers and they actually are exposing corruption. But just like how you had um, Edward Snowden who worked for the NSA and he he's a whistleblower and he exposed the corruption that the NSA was doing and thus they used the system to label him basically a traitor when he was really you know, speaking the truth and was uh, bringing out that the NSA was doing illegal tactics. And you see how the the system itself is in place uh, to not uphold the laws, but they create laws and they break them. And there's so many loopholes and the people that's actually uh, standing, you know, standing up for what's right which is to expose corruption and to speak the truth and and uh and 
you know, views of the laws of the Constitution to express any kind of grievances, such as uh, the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, those rights are violated. And so this lawsuit is, uh, is to challenge uh, the illegal, immoral, and inhumane treatment that the U.S. government is uh, placing on citizens. And like I said before, that watch list is growing. And so this is why, you know, I bring out content going into that, you know, because mainly, you know, this this channel is to preach the gospel, the good news, which is to tell our brothers and sisters to repent, because that's ultimately the main reason why we're in this truth is to get our brothers and sisters to repent and to bring them to the Lord, bring them to Yahweh Shai, who the world calls Jesus Christ. Because there's no chance of salvation uh, except through the Lord, who is the door. He is the mediator. And he is the reason why we have the opportunity uh, to receive eternal life and to be brought back into that covenant, the new covenant, which we're in the new covenant. You know, so, you know, for brothers and sisters out there that, um, you know, mainly listen to the channel uh, for the teachings. Um, you know, I bring these things out because it's important. The Lord told us to warn the flock, to sound the shofar in Zion, because ultimately they want to place everybody uh, that have a opinion. You know, if, if it don't line up with the new world order system, uh, they, they're going to throw uh, people on the, you know on the list to create a what a police state where you have no civil or human rights so i will if it be the lord's will continue to bring out more information on this uh subject as it's very important and a lot of people aren't talking about it especially those that's in the uh hebrew israelite community. There's very few brothers and sisters out there uh, that's in the truth that know about it, or if they do, they're silent. But the Lord uh, tells us to plead the cause of those who are oppressed, and that's what we must do. Shalom. Shalom. All praises, glory, and honor to the Heavenly Father, Yahweh, in the name of of his only begotten son, who the world ignorantly calls Jesus Christ. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. This is your brother Shalah. And I wanted to uh, just place some um, some content going into the, uh, the targeted justice lawsuit, going into the um, terrorist watch list, uh, which the attorneys who uh, the uh, Lead attorney is Anna Toledo, who is uh, basically uh, saying that the uh, terrorist watch list is unconstitutional. Now, I bring out these things because one, uh, the database or the terrorist watch list database, uh, the people that are nominated on a list is growing.
So a lot of our people who are outspoken that speak the truth, you know, you have brothers and even sisters out there that are on Facebook and Instagram and are verbal, you know, they speak out, you know, uh, when I mean verbal, I'm talking about like putting posts up on their channels or their pages. And all it takes is uh, someone who have access uh, to someone that can place that brother or sister on the watch list. And then after that, um, all civil and human rights are pretty much done. And they have this uh, system through the um, FISA courts, which are secret proceedings, secret court cases, and and, uh, and they determine who will be placed on a terrorist watch list. And after that, uh, then the directed energy weapons testing and covert assaults happen. And then you have the contract or organized harassment stalking groups that will pretty much swarm the targeted individual wherever they go, whether they're in their home, they're driving around doing specific psyops and just things to aggravate or irritate the person who was targeted. And then when they're out in public, whether they're at shopping centers or grocery stores, going, you know, to the bank or, or at work, these people are paid to, uh, to use psyops against the person who is targeted use different types of uh, provocation. And what's happening is the uh, government, the different intelligence agencies is using that as a mechanism to justify the terrorist watch list, to bring forth provocation and entrapment. So it's a setup. The, the people that are being targeted or being provoked and put in different situations who have been targeted and stalked and harassed, if not months, days, years. And unfortunately, certain uh, people who have been uh, tortured and targeted have lashed out violently. And that's the justification the government have to, you know, say, hey, this person was a was a criminal or, or a suspect. So it's, it's all a, it's a game, it's a setup, it's a farce and is used uh, to, you know, keep the uh, terrorist watch list, you know, pretty much uh, in place. And through, you know, again, through the Patriot Act is used uh, to target those that the government uh, view as uh, people that are troublemakers. Because a lot of people that's on these watch lists are whistleblowers and they actually are exposing corruption. 
just like how you had um, Edward Snowden, who worked for the NSA, and he he's a whistleblower, and he exposed the corruption that the NSA was doing, and thus they used the system to label him basically a traitor when he was really, you know, speaking the truth and was um, bringing out that the NSA was doing illegal tactics. And you see how the the system itself is in place uh, to not uphold the laws, but they create laws and they break them. And there's so many loopholes and the people that's actually uh, standing, you know, standing up for what's right, which is to expose corruption and to speak the truth and, and, uh, and you know, use uh, the laws of the Constitution to express any kind of grievances, such as uh, the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech. Those rights are violated. And so this lawsuit is, uh, is to challenge uh, the illegal, immoral, and inhumane treatment that the U.S. government is uh, placing on citizens. And like I said before, that watch list is growing. And so this is why, you know, I bring out content going into that, you know, because mainly, you know, this, this channel is to preach the gospel, the good news, which is to tell our brothers and sisters to repent, because that's ultimately the main reason why we're in this truth is to get our brothers and sisters to repent and to bring them to the Lord, bring them to Yahweh Shai, who the world calls Jesus Christ, because there's no chance of salvation uh, except through the Lord, who is the door, he is the mediator. And he is the reason why we have the opportunity uh, to receive eternal life and to be brought back into that covenant, the new covenant, which we're in the new covenant. You know, so, you know, for brothers and sisters out there that, um, you know, mainly listen to the channel uh, for the teachings, um, you know, I bring these things out because it's important. The Lord told us to warn the flock, to sound the shofar in Zion, because ultimately they want to place everybody uh, that have a opinion. You know, if if it don't line up with the new world order system, uh, they they're gonna throw uh, people on the you know on the list to create a what a police state where you have no civil and human rights so i will if it be the lord's will continue to bring out more information on this uh subject as it's very important and a lot of people aren't talking about it especially those that's in the uh hebrew israelite community there's very few brothers and sisters out there uh, that's in the truth that know about it or if they do they're silent but the Lord uh, tells us to plead the cause of those who are oppressed. And that's what we must do. Shalom.